that's great. Thank you for sharing, Dorothy. Yeah. If you, anyone ever has a prayer, a pray, prayer request or praise report you want to lift up, just get my attention just like Dorothy did. So, Dorothy, a uh, great example of how to do that. So just give me the high sign, and we'll make sure to, uh, to do that together. Right, that's great. And we have prayed for Dick, and we continue to pray for these requests and know that sometimes, you know, the Lord answers uh, prayers in his own way and in his own time. So it's great to hear about those times where we're like, oh, man, that's what I prayed for, and that's what I heard. So that is great. All right, so today we are looking at the uh, book of Isaiah as we continue our way through the scriptures together. We'll look at Isaiah twice, uh, once later on and once right now. Uh, so you may remember that last time we talked about second, we talked about, sorry, we talked about first kings. We talked about first kings and Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So as we move along through the progression of God speaking to the people of Israel during the divided kingdom time when you had the northern kingdom of Israel or Ephraim and you had the southern kingdom of Judah or Zion, uh, Jerusalem area, this is that whole time period and Isaiah is a really crucial uh, uh, person in that time period. Uh, So one of the things I like to say about Isaiah that's important to realize about Isaiah is that when you hear Jesus talk in the Gospels, Jesus speaks in the language of Isaiah. Many, many times when you hear Jesus reference the Scripture, he will reference Isaiah. When Jesus comes and he opens up uh, the scroll to say, I want to share a sermon with my hometown about who I am and what I'm about to do, he opens up to the book of Isaiah and reads from Isaiah about how he has come to heal the blind, he has come to restore uh, walking to those who can't walk. He's, he's come to let the deaf hear. He's come that the good news will be preached to the poor. That comes from the second half of Isaiah. So today we're looking at the first half of Isaiah, two parts to the book. Uh, biblical scholars like to fight about things. So one of the things that they'll fight about is whether or not Isaiah the prophet wrote the first and second half of the book. It really doesn't matter where you fall on that line, because if the second half was written by someone other than the prophet Isaiah, it was someone who was trained in the school of the prophet Isaiah. A lot of times you'll see that in scripture. In fact, in the New Testament, a couple times, a prophet is said to be Isaiah, when it actually, when you look at the prophecy, it's Micah, or uh, I'm trying to think of the other one, I think the other one is Hosea. And they're listed as the prophet Isaiah because they were all grouped together under that heading of these prophets spoke around the same time as Isaiah and in the tradition of Isaiah. So for me, I I tend to see Isaiah as falling into two books, chapters 1 through 39 and then chapters 40 through 66. And 40 through 66, I think, are probably written by disciples of Isaiah who came along later to speak in the same tradition. But if you're someone who, if you're a scholar or somebody who's read the book and you're like, man, it all sounds like the same prophet, I have no issue with that. The important thing is that God has spoken through his prophets and those who were along with his prophets to learn from them and continue in their tradition. And because of that, we can open up the book of Isaiah and know something about what God wants for us and how it's been revealed to us in Jesus. So I gave you a little introduction to the person of Isaiah. He prophesied during the reign of Uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. When I was but a nerdy uh, preteen who loved the Bible, Jotham was my favorite king. I'm sure you all had favorite kings when you were 12 years old, Uh, so uh, you can tell me later which one yours was. Uh, But Jotham Jotham was fun for me because he was one of those who showed up and did all the right things. That's the thing, when you go through the kings, you see 
this king came along and he did not follow in the ways of his father David. He did not destroy the high places. Instead, he led the people in idolatry, and there's so many of those. But then eventually you come across a couple of them who uh, did follow in the ways of their father David and did worship the God of Israel and went out of their way to destroy the high places, meaning those places that the people of Israel would use on top of mountains and hills to worship false gods. They would go, the good kings would go through and say, we're not doing that. We're only worshiping the God of Israel, and that's going to take place in Jerusalem where we can all come together and get on the same page as far as what it is that he wants for us. So the good kings would do that. So Jotham was a good king like that. Hezekiah was a good king like that. Uzziah was a middling king. <laughs> he, he did some good things, but then he kind of got full of himself at one point and got leprosy. So that's his story. Uh, Ahaz was a bad king. Uh, and, and Ahaz is a king that Isaiah confronts a few times. I should mention that some of you... Some of you uh, who were uh, with me in Bible study, we've been looking at Isaiah, and uh, if you look at Isaiah, then uh, we have uh, Ahaz is, a good, is, is one of the Isaiah confronts a few times about what it is that God wants for him that the people aren't really following along with. The idea possibly is that Isaiah might have been martyred under King uh, Manasseh, who's about the worst king that, that Judah comes across. These are all kings for the southern kingdom. Isaiah himself is mentioned in 2 Kings chapters 18 through 20 and 2 Chronicles, so he shows up as a prophet in those chapters. And so the first 39 chapters uh, contain messages to Israel, Judah, and the surrounding nations and peoples, proclaiming coming judgment, but also announcing salvation, deliverance, and the coming of God's kingdom of peace ruled over by his Messiah. Isaiah contains a lot of prophecies about the Messiah that God is sending. So we're going to take a look together there at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 26, 1 through 11. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those who minds, whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. All right, so this is uh, the first part of this chapter. talks a little bit about a very common theme in Isaiah, which is judgment. If you've been in Bible study with us, you know we've been looking at different oracles against countries and nations around Israel. So we've been learning and looking at our geography maps to see nations that God's confronting. And so here in this passage, God talks about that judgment. 
Uh, trust in the Lord, trust not in nations around you is a continuing theme of Isaiah because Isaiah is confronting kings who are trying to figure out their ways through the complicated ancient world of here's Assyria, Assyria's powerful, here's Egypt, Egypt's powerful. What should we do? Well, maybe we should go make nice with Assyria and become their allies. Maybe we should go make nice with Egypt and become their allies. And Isaiah's message is you're not going to find the strength and security you need from any nation, you need to trust in me, the, uh, in me, uh, in God. And if anything doesn't go along with that, it's ultimately going to fall apart. So we see that uh, coming up in this passage. And he talks about this idea of trust in the Lord forever. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. And the feet of the oppressed, the feet of the poor, they will walk on the level way that God has made. So a continuing theme in Isaiah, as he speaks to the southern kingdom of Judah, is to say the reason that God has to confront you about what it is that you're doing wrong is because the, those who are feeling the effects of you turning your back on God and worshiping false gods, of you turning your back on God's laws and not paying attention to God's laws, those who are feeling the effects of that are primarily the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the lame, the fatherless, the widow, the orphans, those are the ones who are feeling the effects of your decisions to turn your back on what it is that God wants for you. That's really important for us to see, because if you read the book of Isaiah, you're going to read incredibly difficult passages to understand in terms of sounding a very ang angry coming from God, anger coming from God as Isaiah expresses it. And there are some things that we've read together that I know I've seen people's eyebrows raise about what God says, but again and again, it always comes back to God saying, this isn't the kind of, of world that I've designed. This isn't the kind of nation that I want to bring into this world that you've created. A nation where the oppressed, uh, what we would say today, like the marginalized, those that people forget about, you, you aren't caring for them and they're suffering because of the decisions that you're making. And that's why I'm confronting you. Uh, in this passage, he says, of course, I'm not going to show grace to the wicked, because if I show grace to the wicked, they'll never learn uprightness. God's punishment is coming on these people so that they would learn to know what it is that God wants for them and the salvation that he wants to reveal to them. Uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful uh, phrase in here where it says that the, the walls of the city, God makes the walls of the city salvation. Uh, and, and it's it's cool because the, the concept here isn't that God's given the city really strong walls. So the, the verse here, verse 2, isn't saying, oh, God made this city with really strong walls and that's going to be your salvation. The verse is saying the city that God wants is a city whose walls are salvation for all who see them. That if anyone interacts with the people that God wants, they're going to know salvation and deliverance, mercy and grace from God. And if that's not happening... God's going to make sure that's what takes place. God will not allow his name to be associated with oppression and evil. He will not allow that. When we read Isaiah, it's important for us to see how this is taking place and has been taking place in our world. Because unfortunately, over the centuries and centuries, the Christian church has been associated with oppression of people uh, whether it's the Christian church's involvement in the slave trade, whether it's the Christian church's uh, involvement in persecuting other Christians as took place. You know, that's kind of how uh, we, uh, the uh, immigration from Europe to America happened as Christians who were being persecuted by other Christians. 
and when we hear Isaiah, we hear God saying, I'm not going to allow this to happen. I'm going to prevent this from happening by confronting you about the decisions that you've made to associate my name with oppression. Instead of that, I'm going to be associated with salvation. The people that I've called, the walls of their city are going to be known as salvation, deliverance, mercy, and grace shown from God. So there's that dynamic, that dichotomy between how God approaches his people in Isaiah. It would be an interesting conversation to have with each of you today to say, does God punish nations today? Does God punish people today? It would be an interesting conversation. Maybe we should all sit around a table and have that conversation sometime. What I would like to say to you is that we know that we serve the same God who's revealed himself in Isaiah today, but we also know that all of Isaiah over and over, points us to this idea of a Messiah that God is sending to bring his people to a place of peace and unity and true, full life in his presence. And we know that that Messiah was revealed to us in Jesus. And in the kingdom that that Messiah brings, Isaiah tells us that you're going to be able to have lions laying down with lambs. You're going to be able to have wolves laying down with young calves. You're going to be able to have a little child put his hand in the nest of the viper, and it's going to be okay because when the Messiah is there, everything's the way it's supposed to be. When the Messiah is there, all hints of violence and and anger and hatred and lust and and terror, all of those things are taken away, and we live in peace in the Messiah's presence. So it's incredibly important to remember, Isaiah points us all of that, and we live under the reign of this Messiah. But we also know that it is true that God will not allow his name to be associated with oppression, and he will do whatever it takes to make sure that we understand that oppressing and, and taking from others uh, the life and the, the dignity and the hope that they deserve isn't something he's going to allow. So I, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. I don't know if, if that makes sense to you, that I look at the world and I say, I don't, I don't think that we necessarily see God uh, sending down lightning bolts to punish this nation or punish this person because they did this or that. So much as we see this is who Jesus is, we're all following along with his kingdom, and whatever happens in the world, Jesus is going to use what happens in the world to bring glory and renown to his name, like it says in Isaiah, that he's going to use it to bring glory and renown to his name by embracing the suffering of human evil onto himself, taking the punishment and the pain of that into himself on the cross, and delivering hope through his people who show that love to the world around them. That's the idea. And Isaiah's pointing us and pushing us towards that idea. Everything in Isaiah is, is moving us to that moment where Jesus demonstrates that kind of rule. But for those of us who read this passage, we have to say, well, what are we part of God proclaiming the truth about who he is in the world? Is that what our desire is? Because if it's not, he's going to make that to be the case. When I read this passage where God says, I can't show grace to the wicked or they won't learn uprightness, I, it's hard not to think about being a parent at that point, right? You know, if, if you have a child and a child is making a very poor decision over and over, if you just say, it's okay, uh, try not to do that again, and, uh, oh, it's all right, uh, that's all right, you're still, just, you're still just the kid that I love more than anything else, that's okay, here, have the candy, your, t- your, your, your kid's teeth will fall out, you know, because they, they ate candy all day, and uh, they're not going to learn anything if you don't produce some instruction and correction in their lives. 
God's giving that order to the people here. All right, let's continue reading here in this passage as we see what else God has to say to his people through Isaiah, verses 12 through 18. Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live on no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You've enlarged the nation, Lord. You've enlarged the nation. You've gained glory for yourself. You've extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress when you disciplined them. They could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth, rise and cries out in pain, so we were in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to win. We have not brought salvation to the world, and the people of the world have not come to life. An interesting thing happens in this passage, and we're going to read a little bit more about it in the last section that we'll share together, is Isaiah begins to talk about this idea of life coming from death. And he begins talking about it by saying, we have tried other rulers. We've tried, oh God, you're our ruler, you're our king, we'll fall after you. We got tired of that, so we tried other rulers that might be able to give us what we want and make our lives better. And we discovered that those rulers didn't last. They died. We couldn't rely on them. Their spirits are now in the grave. And then he begins to talk about this idea of, of life eventually coming to those who, who lay in the grave. One of the things that you'll discover is that people will say that in the Old Testament it doesn't talk about life after death. But this chapter really does talk about life after death. And this idea that God has a plan that goes beyond the life that we know in this world And it begins with this idea, Isaiah says, at the very end of this passage that we read, of this idea of the people of God are meant to birth the life that God wants the world to know into the world. And he brings up this idea of a woman in labor. So how appropriate for us to talk about that today, right? Uh, Not an illustration that I can give specifically, because I am not a woman and I've never been in labor, but I have been in the the room while a very uh, incredible woman in my life Uh, gave birth to our three children, and it seemed to me to be very difficult. Uh, My my first perspective after after Chelsea gave birth to Elliot was that this is harder, way harder, than anything I will ever attempt to do in my entire life. It is very hard. Uh, And so in this passage, he talks about, well, what would happen if you tried to do that incredibly hard thing in your life, and then at the end of that, you, you, received, you did not receive a cute baby in your arms. You just gave birth to wind. You just gave birth to something you could never touch and never hold in your arms. What would happen? Well, no one would go through that experience. No one would go through the incredibly hard portion of that to know that at the end of this, there's not going to be a cute little baby to hold in your arms, right? That's what the image that he gives here in this passage. And his, his point there at the very end in verse 18 is said, We have not brought salvation to the earth. The people of the world have not come to life. He's reminding the people of Judah in this passage that God's design for them is that the world would know life. And that's not happening. When God looks at the people of Judah, when he looks at the people that he's chosen as his people in the world, their interactions with the world are not birthing into the world new life and hope. And that's what God's going to confront in the book of Isaiah over and over is this idea of this is who you're meant to be. So it's time for us as the people who follow after the one ruler, the Messiah that Isaiah promises, this king that's coming, it's time for us to say, are we birthing into the world life? 
when you and I look at Cuyahoga Falls, when we look at Stowe, when we look at Akron, when we look at Monroe Falls, when we look around us, do we see Cuyahoga Falls Church of the Nazarene birthing life into the world? When people interact with me as I'm going out in the world as a representative of this church, not just as a pastor, but just as a member of this church, no one knows I'm a pastor and I'm going out and about, uh, as I'm going throughout the world as a member of the kingdom of the Messiah, of Jesus who reigns over the world, when people interact with me, am I bringing into the world life, life that the world needs? Because I'm telling you, just as much as in the day of Isaiah, before there was indoor plumbing, before there was air conditioning, before there were smartphones, when all people had was basically two sticks to rub together, they needed life. They needed someone to say, there's hope beyond this world. There's hope for you if you don't have any way to provide food for your family, if you've lost your husband, if you've lost your family, your, your parents, if you don't have any hope, there is hope in this world because of the God that we serve. He brought you into this world for a purpose and he wants a relationship with you. They needed to know that through the people of Judah. Just as much today, people need to know that truth for each one of us, and they're all around you. You can't escape it. They're, they're in the car next to you at the traffic light as you leave church today. They're in the gas station as you go and fill up your gas tank and get a Polar Pop. They're in a grocery store. Uh, sermon sponsored by Polar Pop today. Uh, the, they're in the grocery store as you go through the grocery line and you ring up your groceries, and it's taking too long because the person in front of you at, at Dollar Tree the other day, I did not know it was possible to buy that many $1.25 mugs. That person in front of you, they are meant to know life through your interaction with them. They are meant, that's, that's the purpose that you exist in this world for, and that's what God's confronting here in the book of Isaiah over and over to these kings that we can't remember. He's saying, this is what's meant to happen. I've been spending the past uh, like eight weeks working with my little, my little seedlings, my little vegetable seedlings every day, and I'm going to plant them this week, and I've got all kinds of plans about what's going to happen for them, but if I don't take the time to give them a little water every day, if I don't spend a little attention on them to make sure the weeds aren't coming up and, and taking away the sunlight that they're supposed to get and the nourishment from the soil they're supposed to get, if I don't spend a little time tending to the garden that I've put this effort into, they're going to die, and I'm not going to get any fruit. Every day, I've got to spend a little time tending to what the work of the Messiah is doing in my heart and my life and how that's going to bear fruit to all those who interact with me. All right, let's finish up this passage together. 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people, enter your rooms, shut the doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the bloodshed in it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. All right, so here we have in this last little passage an amazing verse that you can't miss, miss uh, as you read through the Old Testament. It is murky in the Old Testament about what happens when you die. It is not clear. But here in this passage, here in verse 19, Isaiah says something amazing. He says, Your dead, O Lord, will live. Their bodies will rise. Those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. 
so I was reading this passage, and I was like, you know, do is a weird thing, right? I never really thought about it, and I was like, what if someday Augie or Elliot or Zaley asked me, what the heck is do, and where does it come from? I should probably know, right? And so I was looking at it, and of course the idea is that as the cool of the day happens, all the moisture and the humidity that a different item that's been outside has, has created begins to condense and, and collect on those items. So all the warmth that you have is available and becomes a, 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 a source of uh, nutrients and source of ability to live through the dew that collects. And, and dew is incredibly important, especially in places like Israel, uh, where there's not a lot of fresh water available. The, be- the morning dew is incredibly important. And that's the image that Isaiah gives us here of the life that God wants to bring to his people. See, everything in my life is meant to be used by God to give life to the world. And it turns out that that's going to be the whole point of my life. Someday, when I see Jesus face to face, what he's going to collect from me is the dew of the existence that I offer to him on this, in this world. The, what Jesus is going to be able to use from me for all eternity is all the warmth, the love, the, the service to him that I've offered to the world, that's going to, this passage is saying, that's what's going to collect on me for all eternity that Jesus will use to bring life for all of those who are part of his kingdom for all time. We're meant to be a part of that now. Everything that you've been given, everything that you're experiencing in your life is meant to give the world hope, is meant to give the world a chance to know Jesus and be in relationship with Jesus. And Isaiah points that out. Isaiah says, hey, wait and hide away. The punishment is coming. But just know at the end of that, every person that's ever existed is going to know this relationship with God because of what he's accomplished in your life. So next time you go outside and you see the dew, remember, that's you. You are meant to be the person who collects the, the nutrients, the source of life that the world needs. And, and it's going to come from your faithfulness to Jesus. So as we think about that today, as we share in in that today, uh, we also want to take part in communion. Communion, of course, can be a chance for us to remember uh, this uh, nutrients that God provides to the world through us that we ultimately see in Jesus. If you're missing a cup, there's some cups in the back as well. Try to make sure I grab people as they came in. But uh, we're going to take communion together now. So as you get a chance to open up uh, the bread We remember, just like in the Old Testament, as God gave the Israelites manna, little wafers on the ground, it's a reminder of that here, as we take this wafer together, that God has given us this chance to know his love and to be in relationship with him. And remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, And he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they would be for us your body and your blood, that we may be for the world your body redeemed by your blood. Lord, we ask that we would be the dew of creation, the dew of the morning for each of those who interact with us, that Lord, as people interact with us, they would interact with you. They would know your love, your life poured out through us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to take the wafer, to take the bread, to take and eat, and feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving.
I invite you now as friends and family here to take the cup, to take and drink, and remember that Jesus has poured out his blood so that we would be his family and we would invite the world to be part of that family together.